0: The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network.
1: Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent.
0: Hey, what's going on, guys? Mark Tullius here. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers. Today we have episode 111. The short story at the end of the episode is... 24-hour bullshit. I love that title. It's actually the title of a song from Nail Bomb. Uh, Love that song. Thought it was super cool. Just title uh, expresses my feelings towards the media, and uh, that's why we chose it for this short story. So hopefully you guys will dig that. Um, First little wrap-up of the week. Uh, It's been a good week. Didn't do a whole lot with Derek the Demon this week. Did a little bit with him. I'm realizing he is a major distraction. He's a lot of work. My son's getting a little bit jealous. I've been playing with him, with Derek, more than my son. i still fitting in some Fortnite and swimming and doing all that fun stuff, but he is getting a little bit jealous. So I'm going to back off Derek a little bit, uh, mainly until my buddy Jay finishes his puppet, which is going to be the co-host of the new podcast we'll have with Derek and his uh, Jay's puppet uh not sure who he's gonna be and then we're gonna have a bunch of other puppets in there too it's gonna be like a fucked up muppet uh maybe not too adult but they're gonna be smoking a lot of weed in fact uh jay's part jay's puppet is gonna actually be shaped like a cannabis bud so um yeah should should be interesting if nothing else so i have been enjoying doing that stuff uh but yeah it is a lot of work it's taking me away from my writing, and so that's what I worked on this week. This week I worked on Tales of the Blessed and Broken. I am loving the new developments on it. Um, it's way more brutal than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I was kind of afraid of this book, because I was like, "Yeah, the guy's a teacher, he doesn't do a whole lot, um, it's not that exciting. I I wrote most of this, like I, it's halfway done, but I wrote all that like 10 years ago before I even came up with the idea for Ain't No Messiah. Uh, came up with Ain't No Messiah, moved that book first, And now I'm going back through. I'm like, okay, this story takes place three years after Ain't No Messiah ends. A lot of crazy shit has happened since then. How would that affect the world? Um, And Ain't No Messiah, I believe, like a third of the country was killed off, maybe even more from the vaccine. So what would that do? Uh, They've had three years of winter. You know, what would that do to a country? Uh, They're about to go to war with China. You know, what would, how would that affect people? Uh, How would that affect schools? How would that affect students? Uh, so it's definitely making it much more brutal. And another thing that was cool is I realized this week, one of the things this guy does every morning is he goes into his garage and he goes into his dad's car. His dad left, uh, 25 years before he abandoned the family. Uh, so this guy, Jaime has a lot of issues with that, but every morning he goes into the car, he puts on one song while he sits in and warms up the car. And I was like, okay, well, what does he listen to? You know, I I wasn't going to make him listen to heavy metal because I was like, man, that happens with all my characters. I want to make this guy a little bit different, but I was like, okay, he's angry. He's got all the dad issues from, you know, 25 years before, uh, he saw one of his best friends get killed. Just kind of responsible for it. There's been a lot of bad shit happening. The world's going to hell. Um, you know, so I was like, he's angry. He said, "What would he listen to?" And I think he would listen to metal. So I have him listening to Amon Amarth because he is so much into Norse mythology. There's tons of Norse mythology in this whole series, but especially this book. And so that is what he's listening to. That is making the whole thing a little bit more brutal, uh, a little bit more bloody, uh, and those are all great things. So I don't mind that at all. Um, yeah, so a lot of cool developments this week. Really happy with those. And uh, yeah, that's all I've really been working on. Signed a contract with Phil Marino. Um well he hasn't signed it yet, but he's going to. Uh, that should be a really cool try not to die. It's gonna, I'm guessing that one would be a year or two to even finish up. Uh, we're but we are gonna schedule weekly meetings to make sure we get it done. And weekly meetings, that's something I need to start doing with my other co-authors to really get this going. Um, I would like to have a couple more try not to dies come out or be ready to be at least an advanced copy ready uh, by October Fe- not Octoberfest by October when I go to Germany for the Frankfurt Book Fair. Um, Regarding that, I did just get the German version of Beyond Brightside and before Brightside um, back from the translator. What I'm doing is uh, my friend uh, Marika, who was on here, uh, she has the podcast Child of the Library. I sent it to her and I asked her if she could just read the first chapter to see how the translation was The same person that translated Brightside was supposed to translate this one. I'm not sure whether or not they actually did because I'm going through a company. Um, And because my German sucks so much, I can't tell whether or not it's a good translation. So I sent it to her. Hopefully I'll hear back this weekend. Uh, But just thought that was super cool of her to read that for me and to give her opinion on it. Um, And then as soon as that is done, I will give the translator um, the TBI book. I just need the last two chapters, final the final edit on those. And then I could turn that over so we can get that translated as well. Uh, have the someone working on new covers. I need to do the German titles for um, Beyond Brightside and Before Brightside. And uh, so that had a, I have to do some work with my graphic designer on that, changing the titles the names of the book. Uh, so that is happening. And we're also doing a new cover for before bright side. I never really gave a shit about that book because small, but because I'm going to include it in the bright side box set. Uh, I wanted it to kind of match the other covers. So if you haven't read that, it's a cool little short story. It's a little bit dirty and depressing. It's a, uh, the main character Joe's uh, it's when he loses his virginity. So just a short story, I think like 8,000 words kind of quick. But if you want to hear what it's like to be a telepath, having sex with a crack whore to lose your virginity, you should check that one out. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, today is the last day of school for my kids, and that's pretty exciting. But in three weeks, we will be going to Rhode Island. We'll be out there for about a month. Right now, I'm not sure whether or not I'm gonna be bringing Derek. I kind of want to, uh, but I might just leave it with my buddy Jeff. If he wants to do, so, that way he can do some skits. He could just do the puppeteer work. I can send him over the vocals and we could go from there. But we probably won't even launch that podcast with the two puppets until uh, I get back. So I'm guessing probably August for that second podcast to start. And again, you know, it's just one more thing on my plate, but it should be a good thing. Uh, The other thing that was pretty cool this week that happened, I got invited to be on a podcast called The Rockdown Podcast. I think that'll be in about two weeks. Looking forward to that. Really look forward to any time I can talk about heavy metal music, what it's done for me, what it's done for my writing. Also to break that stereotype of metalheads being idiots. You know, metalheads being, you know... uh, I don't know, degenerates or whatever else. Yeah, sure, I'm a little bit of a degenerate, but I also do a lot of good shit. Um, So always anxious to talk about that kind of stuff. And uh, this week I had an opportunity to be on Oops! Caught Me Smoking podcast. I think that drops today on audio, uh, probably on Sunday for the video. So that was cool. It was a nice chance of talking about cannabis, what my concerns are, why I use it, uh, how my usage has been lowered from doing different things for my brain. And, you know, again, I don't want to glorify cannabis. So there definitely are some uh, risk involved with it, side effects. But if you're comparing it to, you know, painkillers or alcohol or whatever else, I would argue that cannabis is a much better, uh, well, maybe not for everyone, but for me, it's definitely a better option. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, and also excited, got in two days of jiu-jitsu practice this week. My neck is still doing great. My new doctor, he's a nuca specialist, uh, National Upper Cervical Chiropractic Association. I was seeing Dr. Radwanski at Vital Head and Spine. My whole family has been going to her. But she just <clears throat> she just moved, so we had to go to uh, started seeing a new doctor. And there aren't very many of these uh, chiropractors around. But uh, his name is Dr. Kreit. He did an awesome job adjusting myself, my family, uh, my adjustments holding after two days of jiu-jitsu. So I'm excited about that because oftentimes I would uh, get adjusted and I would try to train and then it would go back out. It's like, oh, man, I'm never going to be able to train again. But because I've been smart with the jiu-jitsu, we're just doing privates. Um, I'm working with two guys that are very good. And they're being very cautious with my neck uh, and helping me be cautious, helping me not do stupid shit. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully in Rhode Island, I will be in good enough shape to uh, train with some of my buddies. Um, And there should be a lot of really cool podcasts coming out of that. Uh, I want to talk to some of my friends that are fighting in the UFC and Bellator and uh, a couple of my jiu-jitsu buddies out there. So I think that should be super cool. So a lot of cool shit to look forward to in the meantime, you guys could enjoy this short story. So here it is. This is narrated by my buddy David Thompson from 25 Perfect Days plus five more. This is 24-hour bullshit. All right, guys. Hope you have an incredible day. I will talk to you later. Peace.
1: 24-hour bullshit. November 1st, 2052 Kent Hollister took his place behind the news desk and looked over the revised script. He'd only seen the originals for a few seconds, but he recalled every pre-redacted word, one of the perks of being unlocked. Three months ago, when Kent and his son Caden got the implants to become connected, they elected for the surgery to free up an extra 20% of their brains. They thought it'd make life easier, but they were wrong. The revised report said enemy combatants stockpiling chemical weapons were terminated, no longer any mention of the children murdered for hoarding unauthorized food supplies. The floating auto stylus tried to powder Ken's forehead, but he swiped it away. The whirring mechanical bot wobbled and nearly collided with his co-anchor's auto-stylist, but Candace Northridge didn't flinch. Her baby blue eyes opened wide as the little mechanical arm applied mascara. Okay, let me see, she said. The auto-stylist rose up toward the lights so Candace could see her bright, sparkling face on the transparency. Her lips stretched into that trademark smile, a cheetah ready to pounce and devour. Kent kept reading, shook his head with disgust. Have you seen Bernie? Candace kept her smile, talked through her teeth. Uh uh-uh. A young guy in a silver suit came out of the control booth. The suit hung off him like he'd borrowed it from an older brother. The facial recognition software gave Kent four lines of info on the new program director. His name was Egan Tolbert, a disciple in the way, even though he was only 22 years old. Where the hell's Bernie? Kent asked. Gone. What do you mean, gone? He was just here. Egan shrugged. Everyone's replaceable, right? Kent looked over at the exit door, and Egan grabbed the papers off his desk. Kent reached out. Egan shook his head. These are old. The new version's downloading. That meant having to get it through the connect. something he hadn't done in a long time. He only trusted his memory. I need to see the pages. Egan's eyes went cold. Too fucking bad. We're rolling in one minute. Egan turned to Candace, his eyes soft and flirty. Have a great show. Candace powered down her stylist. Count on it. Egan headed for the booth, and Kent swiped one of Candace's hairs off the desk. No one spoke to Kent like that, at least not until the Way started showing up at the station. They'd purchased the network six months before. The news division was told the Way preferred a hands-off managerial approach, but that proved to be just as manufactured as their recent news reports. Still, Kent believed he had a duty, and his voice still mattered. Seven nights a week, he entered every suite inside the blocks and over half of the private residences across the country. If he stopped reporting the news, any hope for the truth would die. The line producer's voice came across the intercom and told everyone they had 30 seconds. Candace gently squeezed Kent's thigh. He kept his eyes on the camera, but shifted in his chair. She loved to pull this shit just before air. He'd warned her to stop, but she liked watching him squirm. Becky had already threatened to leave him. One more slip-up would send her out the door, and he'd lose Caden forever. Kent closed his eyes to intensify the connection and cut distractions. He used the focusing techniques Caden had taught him and located the reports, Committed them to memory. Egan's voice replaced the line producers and started the countdown. Kent's eyes snapped open and he gave his practice nod. Candace moved just enough to make her breasts sway. Together, they greeted America. The top story had been swapped out for a report on tainted drugs coming in from Mexico. An unidentified study linked the side effects to increased outbreaks and the rise in mental illness. Kent's minds flashed back to the last dozen unidentified studies he'd mentioned in the past few months, each one claiming to explain the disease. He wondered how many people at home remembered what he'd told them just last week. Candace pointed at the camera and said, So, just remember, get caught with any drug and you'll be sent straight to prison. The camera zoomed in on her full lips. And that goes for you kids, too. Great advice, Kent said. He delivered the revised report on the Kid Massacre word for word. His chest felt hot. sweat Sweatbeats trickled down the back of his shirt, but he pressed through. Candace said, Now here's a heartwarming story of a young man and a dog. The image on the screen didn't match her words. A smoldering crater that had once been Signal Hill filled the screen. At first, Ken thought someone had screwed up, but Candace said, I'm sure all of you remember this terrible event, the atrocious act of domestic terrorists. A chubby teenager's face appeared on the screen. Gregory Weedle, a true resident for peace in Block 3187, sure did. Early this morning, his quick, decisive action stopped a terror plot and saved a dog from being killed. The camera zoomed out to reveal the trembling chihuahua in Gregory's arms, its tiny little paws scratching at his chest. There were four piles of clothes behind Gregory on the sidewalk. Candace continued. What was the plot? How many people were targeted? Scary questions. Scary answers. She turned to camera two. Later, reporter Tasha Yorling will take a closer look at using the connect. She'll talk about a growing call for a kill switch, and she'll teach you and your family the skills to keep you safe. Seeing camera three's red light flash... Kent smiled and said just how right she was. And now for the second installment of our six-part series, where we give you an inside look into the way camps witness these young citizens inspire us all by caring for society's unwanted. Today, we're taking you into one of the 40 elderly units across this country. The video showed boys in red uniforms, helping older residents into black and red vans. Every day, these boys take men and women, many of them grandparents, around the city for last goodbyes, sometimes even stopping at the memory bank for downloading, in case their relatives can one day buy them a new body. An old, wrinkled man stood by the back doors of the DMV. His face filled the screen. Both my children are still alive. They got good years left, he said. I've done all the gallivanting I need. I just want them to be happy. "'Isn't that what a parent is supposed to do?' After a few seconds, the man slowly entered the DMV. Candace wiped away a tear and said, "'Now, that's a good father.' She was supposed to transition into the story on sterilization, but she leaned to the side. The tear had caused the mascara to run into her eye. Kent took over. He spoke about the new poll, which showed the majority of people were for lowering age requirements— even though he'd never met a single person who would be. Candace pulled herself together and relayed the new round of homescale waivers. There's no guarantee how long they'll be offered, so officials are recommending the 10-year certificates. This went on for another 30 minutes. There were warnings of contaminated food and tips to make the world a safer place. The second the red lights blinked off, Kent stood up, told Candace to have a good night, and hurried over to the elevator before she had a chance to tell him about whatever trendy restaurant she was dying to try. Mr. Hollister, I need to see you for a second. It was Egan, followed by a leggy blonde in a tight blue skirt. Her name was Shawna, all other details hidden. Someone with money was clearly paying for her privacy. I just wanted to say great show, Egan said. He offered his hand, and how glad I am to be working with you. Kent pressed the up button and said, Yeah, likewise. No, really, Egan said. He casually dropped his hand. I'm sorry about earlier. The tension of my first show, new rules, all that good stuff. Not a problem, Kent said. I've been in the business a while, seen plenty of suits trying to make their mark. Just try not to cause the new crew to revolt. The elevator opened and Kent stepped inside. I'll see you guys tomorrow. He pressed the button but Egan threw out his hand and helped Shauna inside. Actually, Shauna will be flying with you tonight. She can help you get accustomed to your new connect protocols. Kent said it wasn't necessary. I think I can figure it out. It's not a request. Egan had Shauna step in. The smell of her filled the elevator. Peaches, breath mints, and the faintest hint of sweat. He was glad the studio was only ten floors. They'd just reached the top when Shauna said, I thought you looked great as usual. That's very kind, but you might want to reserve the chance to recant once we step into the sunlight. Shauna smiled and lightly touched his arm. Why the hell was he flirting? The door opened and Kent jogged across the rooftop, slipped into his luxury helicopter and out of the foul air. He took his usual seat on the plush leather recliner and pushed the button to slide open all eight cabin windows. Each view was the same. Black solar panels of the massive inner blocks on either side. Shawna took the seat across from him and crossed her legs, nearly every inch exposed. Kent closed his eyes, threw himself into the connect, Images and videos, a full history of the inner blocks. The helicopter rose and he turned toward a massive steel structure that was built to withstand a ballistic missile attack. Shawna said, Mr. Hollister, her finger was on the window button. You don't want to look at that. I prefer them open. They continued up and over the block, all of San Angeles spread out below. What fascinated Kent was the hundred-foot-tall tide wall that ran the entire coast. Numbers began flashing in Kent's mind. The ocean level had apparently risen ten feet in the last month. Kent recalled the stacks of papers he'd seen in Bernie's office. He'd only caught a few lines, but they were about rising ocean levels. There was a mention of the tide wall, a scenario where it could be breached. Kent suddenly felt cold. It was like his scalp was turning to ice. It spread over the back of his skull toward his eyes, which he couldn't seem to open. You shouldn't be poking, Mr. Hollister. The woman's voice was soft and soothing. Kent could make out a woman dressed in all white. It was Janille, his connection assistant, and her sexy librarian glasses, her body like Becky's, before she'd had Caden. Janille suggested an array of posts and pictures, proof the wall was perfectly safe. She asked, Would you like me to show you? Kent was in Bernie's office. He saw the paperwork on the desk. Bernie was on the phone, shouting. He was angry and a little frightened. Kent stepped toward the papers, saw the line about rising sea levels, but suddenly the letters began to jumble and bleed, spilling off the pages and onto the carpet. He tried to practice the focusing techniques Caden had taught him. Breathe. Zero in. A new voice came through. Just relax, Mr. Hollister. Something caressed his head. It's just the new protocol system. Kent tried to open his eyes again. Light exploded, but he knew his lids were still shut. He was in a Tahitian bungalow, and Shauna was sprawled out on the white silk sheets. He started walking forward, but stopped, knowing his feet were still on the ground, not moving. It wasn't real. You need to relax, Shauna said. It doesn't have to be painful. It can actually be rather pleasurable. All you have to do is let go. Kent knew what it could be like. He'd gone there with Candace before she became co-anchor, the most intimate encounter he'd ever had. Better than sex without all the mess. It's what sent Becky wailing into the night. Kent looked everywhere, but it was his boss, Bernie, who found her in the blocks. She'd gotten connected. Bernie brought her home. It's okay to want this, Shauna said. She ran her hand over the sheets, beckoning him to sit. He found himself moving closer, unable to resist. Her finger slid up his chest to his face, her thumbs finally resting on his eyes. A flash of awareness. She wasn't seducing him, She was probing for information. The papers he'd seen in Bernie's office had been backed up in his mind. Kent focused on the firewalls Caden had installed. He walled off the last meeting with Bernie and wondered exactly what his old boss had uncovered. "'That's what we're going to find out,' Shauna whispered. It echoed in his mind. She was heading for the firewall, a sizzling current racing through his head. It was getting brighter— And just as Shauna started to peel away at the fiber optics, an electric pulse fired in his mind. He opened his eyes and broke the connection. Shauna was slumped back in her seat, her eyes closed. He started to inch forward, wondering if she was dead. But her eyelids fluttered open. She looked out the window, like she was lost. How? We? Are you okay? Kent asked. He looked over at the bar. There was a particle gun under the cabinet. Do you need something to drink? I can make one. Kent started to rise, but Shauna grabbed his wrist. No, I'm fine. I... She shook her head. I have to implement the new protocols. The last ten minutes or so had been wiped from her banks. You already did, Kent said. Are you sure you're alright? Yeah, I'm... Sorry. Sorry. She pulled out a scanner. It showed the protocols had been successfully uploaded. They were getting close to the foothills, the air cleaner, blue sky streaked with white trails. Shauna left the cabin and didn't come back. Kent got off the helicopter the second it landed and hurried to the pickup parking. The network paid for the hover car and driver. Domenico rarely spoke and had his info sealed the gun at his side meaning either off-duty controller or the way. Kent switched on his internal music, made sure it was loud enough to drown out any rogue thoughts. It took five minutes to enter the gated community, another two to reach the summit of the hills, where Kent's house was the envy of every neighbor. The front door was unlocked, which meant Caden was home. Kent shut the door harder than he needed to, then set the alarm. Caden was in the kitchen, getting a drink. Kent threw his wallet on the kitchen counter and saw Becky on the couch. Caden disappeared down the hallway. Kent grabbed the whiskey and filled the glass, didn't bother with the ice. When he looked up, Becky was standing in the doorway. Her eyes were puffy and wet. Kent asked what was wrong, but she just stared right through him. He called her name and snapped his fingers. God damn it, turn that off. Becky finally disconnected and blinked away the tears. Bernie's dead.
0: This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.